There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's a bit of a theme to today's episode uh, around investing and, you know, you may have been investing for a little while. You might be new to investing Perhaps you've been investing for one year, two years, and you've decided to collect as many ETFs as possible under the sun. And now you're getting to understand a bit more about investing, how it all works, what ETFs are, what direct shares are, all the good stuff. So we're going to talk about that, like, where do we go from there? I've got some special guests today on the podcast, which I'll introduce soon, but we can't do our Tuesday show without Sharesies. With the Sharesies app, you can invest the way you like and grow your wealth over the long term choose from over 8,000 companies and exchange-traded funds on the AU, US, and NZ share markets. So invest in things that you value. Now, this is really cool. You can get $10 added to your account ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies platform using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. My name's Glenn James, and this is My Millennial Money. And today, before we hit that bump music, I've got Simcor from Girls That Invest joining me. Hi, Sim. Hello. And Sarah Kelsey from One Up Project. Hey, Sarah. Hi. So, a couple of New Zealand gals with us today, and we're having a real fun chat about all the things. Let's get it started. Okay, we're going to talk about this investing stuff and there's a really good question from Alicia. But before we do that, I just want to welcome Sim and Sarah back to the podcast. They've been on the podcast before. And just to announce that Sarah's going to be guest hosting a few episodes on My Millennial Money. Sarah, you're going to be interviewing heaps of people about their money story. Are you ready? Are you excited? Have we told you what you're doing yet? I'm so excited for it. I love hearing people's stories. So I think this is going to be right up my alley and I can't wait to talk to some of you guys. Yeah. So there you go. There's a a new guest host in town and that's kind of part of, you know, My Millennial Money. We want to make this a platform personal finance, encouraging, and it all can't be built around me. There's got to be other people and we need good people who can, you know, chat on a microphone and interview you and different people. So coming to a Thursday episode near you, Sarah, very soon. Mm. Now, Sim, we might talk about your stuff after the break. Amazing. So let's get into some questions. In fact, I'm going to ask you first, Sim. Alicia asks, and hello, Alicia from Perth, I know who you are, has anyone had any experience revamping their share portfolio from when they started? When I got started, I bought some thematic ETFs guided by some of the ETFs that that friends who encouraged me to learn more about the market and investing were holding. So there's a whole statement there, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, do this because I said it's good and you'll learn anyway. Now I'm much further down the track and have a much better understanding, I'd ideally like to get rid of some of those thematic ETFs and a couple of single stocks and take a much simpler approach. I currently hold 10 different things 
and everyone like this is common a lot of you are collecting etfs like they're going out of fashion which is awesome because you're engaged you're learning but she would like to basically review it and maybe just look at holding you know vts vau and vas which she's already got a bundle of uh is there anything i need to be aware of as i sell the single stocks slash thematic etfs and buy other ones that's a mouthful there and thanks everyone for putting up with me reading that. So Sim, whether you answer this question directly or talk conceptually about this stuff, like what would you say to somebody who might ask you that question? I think it's a really great place to be because it shows like the next level of investing. I think when we all get started, I always put investing to um, like when you get into skincare and when you get into skincare, you, you go onto like skincare TikTok and you see every product under the sun and you're like, I need a retinol and I need a sunscreen and I need a vitamin C and I need this and that. And your like product list becomes like 20 different steps in your skincare routine at night. And you think that more is better. And I think ETFs, when you begin, have the exact same concept like you just think well you know if I'm investing if I'm diversifying like 10 different ETFs means lots of diversification so I understand like how we all kind of start there and I've definitely done similar things in the past I remember at one point I had invested in an S&P 500 ETF and then I'd also invested a lot into an S&P 500 growth ETF and I was like what am I doing these are almost the exact same. And so I think it's it just is kind of like going from a 101 investor to a, is it called a 202 or 201 investor? 201 or 102 even. 102. I don't know. <laughs> just that next level up. So I think it's beautiful that, you know, we're asking questions like these because it's showing a greater or deeper level of understanding. It's like when you become a skincare fanatic and you realise, I just need like three things. Mm. I did the same when I decked out my first studio but not with skincare but with camera gear yeah because i was like oh i'm so getting into this i'm buying all this black magic stuff i'm buying the switcher the external recorder you know all this money and the complexity of it was just overwhelming mm. and now like the next studio that i'm going to set up i'm just going back to like handheld sony plug and play little switcher like it doesn't have to be the same gear that Fox Studios uses. Mm. Like, and I think you're so right. Like, I never thought of it like that. It's like this curve of getting started, excitement, have to do everything. And the more experience you get, the less complex you want it to be. Absolutely. I think you just almost find that the easier or simpler it is, the more likely you're going to stick to it mm. or get engaged. And I think if I was in Alicia's shoes, I would ask myself, do I need to sell off these ETFs or do I just stop spreading the next round of money that I have across all of them and just focus on investing in the few that I have coming up? Because I think there's so many, well, there's so many triggers that happen once you sell off your, your shares. And I just wondered if that was something you wanted to chat about. Yeah. So do you have any motherhood comments, Sarah? Motherhood comments. Yeah. About the, have you heard that saying before? No. no. Oh, it must be an Aussie thing. I was like, Sarah's not a mum. No. That, <laughs> that she knows of. Yeah, yeah, I can't say I know if I have any kids out yeah. there in the world. It's just like general overview. Like, let's talk about motherhood, like everything. Ah. I think. Let's do a live live Google. Turns out it's something completely uh, different. Cancelled. Yeah. Motherhood. Yeah, exactly. Saying meaning. Oh, it's mainly Canadian and US. 
a vague feel-good platitude, especially made by a politician that most people would agree with. So like a Mm. motherhood statement, like everyone should get more money (laughs) from the government. Yes. Like a feel-good. A feel-good. A feel-good. Anyway, do you have any general statements about that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I was Alicia and <laughs> for a long and time. I was glad until I got cancelled then. <laughs> yeah. Like at the start of investing and we spoke on this uh, on another episode where you're so overwhelmed by all your options. So when you start, you think, okay, I need to be diversified. That means investing in 20, 30 ETFs because that's what diversification means. And then as you were saying, Glenn, the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, actually it can be a more simple approach. And how I sort of became, I guess how I simplified my portfolio was doing exactly what Sim said and just starting to allocate my money to the ETFs that were at that point then aligned with my values, what I wanted, my goals, what actually created a more diversified portfolio and then kind of developed it from there. Do you think there's a fear or like a misconception that if you simplify it, you don't look like you know what you're doing? 100%. I think so. I think like often in finance, because there are so many nuances when it comes to money, and I think when you're in that world, it's even more so where you feel like if you don't explain or understand every single nuance of every single part of finance, then you don't know what you're doing. But actually there's like those foundational rules or those just like levels of thinking that still cover what you need to know to have a diversified portfolio. Mm. Yeah, I think I was just thinking kind of not out loud, the other normal way of thinking. Like <laughs> in your head. In my head. <laughs> so seeing what you said, like the first option would be to deplete the percentage weighting mm-hmm. by adding new money to what you want to do go forward. And you've mentioned three holdings there, Alicia, that you you already have and you want to hold. So that's the first option. I reckon the second option could be do the same ordinarily and you know, and we, we don't time the market, but if you are not adding more to that and have a, a view to clean up the portfolio, you know, if you've got some wild thematic and then it takes a bath one day of 20%, well, we might not sell it right that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might kind of just go, all right, I'll just keep an eye on it. If it has a good mm. run, yeah, mm. I'll take my losses or go or whatever. Or you might go, okay, I put this much in. If it gets back to the money that I made, might have had some dividends from it, then I'll clear it. So I think that whole timing the market thing, sure, it works. It works not to do it when you are ongoing, I'm buying and holding and all that stuff. But if you are cleaning up your portfolio and it's not urgent, the house is it on fire, you might decide to do that. Yeah. But in concert with, depending on the holdings and the amount of gains that you have on some of those, like one of your direct shares, Alicia, you might have had a banging time of it and you know made printed money and all that stuff. There's the tax consideration. Mm. So you might in June next year, because our financial year, year in Australia is uh, July to June, mm-hmm. to January, December, aren't you? Calendar year? No. No? April to March. Oh, April to March. Mm. That's our FBT year here, I think. Um, anyway, either way, before the end of the financial year, you might run your eyes over it and go, okay, yeah, I'm doing some housekeeping. This is at a bit of a loss and I just want to clear up. I'll do it now. I'll take the loss this financial year or this has had a banger of a gain. My income has been really high this year because I've worked heaps of overtime and I've done side hustles the next financial year. I'm not going to be doing the side hustle. So you might wait till July to clean that up. So I think you just got to look at your overarching situation 
and just go back to that strategy first. It's like, okay, I've got this portfolio. Ideally, I want to end up with three stocks. Mm -hmm. Let's get there over the next 12 Mm. months, two years, whatever that is. Mm, Can be gradual. Yeah. I also think there's the consideration of do you have the mental space to do all of that? Because I remember being in a similar situation where I looked at my portfolio and I thought, should I clean this up? And I realized if I you know, get rid of some shares, I'm going to have to deal with the tax implications. I'm going to talk to my account, I'm going to have to talk to my accountant about it. I'm going to have to deal with like looking to make sure that like you're putting in more time and energy and you basically have to ask yourself, do I have that or is it okay to leave things for now? And I think Mm. you just, you know, you've also just got to consider what the benefits are of, of letting things go. I think there's a fear of selling off your shares. And I think that comes from, you know, we get taught if you listen to many podcasts or jump online or even talk to investors in general, they'll be like, buy and hold, don't Mm. sell your shares, hold on until 20 years, it might come back up. Do you think that stops people from getting rid of things that they just need to cut their losses with? Potentially, yes, because I have seen that come up before. But I think it's buy and hold for the long term, Mm. aka I put money in my investment portfolio that doesn't mean we don't rebalance, does it? Like it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't find, you know, we might have a, a single diversified ETF and then you might decide, oh, I'm, in, I'm interested in lithium or something like that. I'll buy a lithium ETF and then it, just to, you know, the whole Morgan Housel thing, do a small percentage to keep you involved. You might have a run it's like, oh, that ETF had a really good run. It did 20% or I'm just going to take my losses now. Like, I'm probably okay with that, but on balance, our portfolio, we do want to keep that money invested. And in the, um, you know, in the financial planning world, they call it like new money. Mm-hmm. So new money we put into the market and we keep that money invested in the portfolio. So it's almost like this idea of buy and hold doesn't mean keep that money in a specific share or fund and don't move it. It just means keep that money invested, but you can move around within the pool. Yeah, and, and that, you know, goes to stage two of this question. What is your portfolio composition? Mm. Because you could go to like a Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund, which we all know, and if you don't know, Google it. Trust me, you'll have a banger of a time. It's the one-stop shop portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you put money in, it's got diversification to Australian, US, international property. It's got everything. That's probably a buy and hold mm-hmm. because mm. it rebalances, does everything. Mm. But if you're like Alicia and she just wants to keep VTS, VEU and VAS, yeah, yeah, it's the all world X US. So basically Alicia's got VTS, which is, and this is, I just want to chat to you, Alicia, like the VTS is the all market fund. So like over three and a half thousand listed US companies and that's domiciled in America so you'll have to do W8, Ben Forms, whatever they are each year. So she's got VTS, which is just America. She's got VEU, which is the whole world without America. And she's got VAS, which is top 300 Australian shares. So if you're happy to keep those three in your portfolio, Alicia, what percentages are you having to them? Mm. Because that's what you need to work out. And every quarter you need to set a timer or an alarm or a note to say, I need to look at my portfolio and rebalance it. So, you know, if that's, if the Australian market has a real big run because BHP and all the banks are printing money as usual, do we look to sell off 
5%. And this is the crazy thing. This is how complex it gets. Within that variation, when you set the rules for your investing strategy, at what percentage variation does it trigger a rebalance? Is it 5% or 10%? We always say five for ourselves. Yeah. I just wanted to pull together two things you guys said. Mm-hmm. One, you were saying Glenn was around you know, rebalancing or gradually changing things over time. You said, do you have the mental space um, or the mental capacity to be able to do that? And I think that's a really important thing to note as well is often when we're making changes to our investing portfolio, because so much of investing does revolve around time, you know, there's so many quotes like it's about time in the market, not timing the market or the best time to invest was yesterday, but the second best time is today. And often maybe there might be a lot of pressure to, if we need to clean up our portfolio or change into different ETFs or sell some of them, we have to do that today. Mm. And the thing is, you don't have to do it all today and get it done and have that portfolio cleared. Like as you said, Glenn, you know, set a timer, come back to it each quarter and just do it gradually. And that's okay. You're not going to like blow up your entire portfolio by waiting just a little bit. And I probably... And there's a question that I want to talk about well after the ad break because it's a bit controversial. (laughs) And it's around this thing of real money, quote unquote. Now, whatever real money is for you, it's very subjective and all that. But if Alicia had $200,000 in this portfolio and doing sales could have some significant moving of the needle in terms of tax and losses or whatnot yeah, we probably need to be a little bit strategic. But if Alicia had $2,000 across the 10 ETFs, I'll just go and clean it up tomorrow. That's Mm. a really good point as well. Like that's my vibe. Mm -hmm. So it's that what is significant wealth for you Mm. and if it is insignificant because you've just got started and like, yeah, I really want to double down here, all right, well, that ETF's got $300 in it. Yep, see ya. Mm -hmm. Because not – and if you're earning 80, 90 grand a year – it's not going to move your needle too much. Yeah. So I think the size of your portfolio does matter with these discussions. Mm. Would you, if let's say she had like $100,000 in the ETFs that she wanted to keep. Yes, yeah, so the VTS, VEU, VAS. And yep. then let's say she had three different um, individual shares and they were all amounted to maybe like $500 altogether, maybe like $100 here and there. And when you have like those small amounts and like they make up less than 1% of her portfolio, do you, would you recommend still? Yeah, I, I would just clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because as well, that money, it's just going to be reinvested as well. So it's just more the, if there is a small tax event with a $30 gain on the $300 holding, it's not moving the needle. Mm. So yeah, I think it is relative to the total amount of the portfolio and relative holdings. Mm. Now, I will say like the VTS ETF, that is US domiciled and I've personally taken the view for my US exposure, I just use IVV, Mm -hmm. which is Australian domiciled so I don't have to do US tax forms because if you have a look at the numbers, the return difference of VTS versus IVV, the top 500, like flip a coin and pick one, like you, you're rarely going to tell the difference. Also that, what is it, like the W8 form? It is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. I hate that form with all yeah. my life. Well, let's move on to the next question. Take that for what you will, Alicia. There's a question here from Ali. What would you do, situation, 
mortgage and no car loan. So it's a five-year-old car. She's got an idea. Sell the car, which is $50,000 market value. Put that money onto the mortgage. So get her into the car, put the money on the mortgage. Refinance the mortgage. And I think there's an or here. Or get a novated car lease on updated model car, which is $70,000 to reduce taxable income. Continue to make additional repayments on the mortgage, which now has a lower minimum repayment and less interest. All right. There's there's actually a lot going on there. I don't want to cam on this too long. Just in terms of novated leases, my advice is if you're in a role and you use your car for work and you're going to get a new car, chat with your accountant and get them to crunch the actual numbers. And if your accountant charges $350, $400, it will be worth it. Some novated lease companies may do it, but at least your accountant is completely third party and aren't trying to sell you a loan. Uh, And they'll go, look, based on your income, do a novated lease, tax deduction on the repayments because you're using it for work, percentage, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's better than getting a personal loan in your own name and not um, claiming it on tax or whatever. Okay, so the car thing aside, but the simplicity of this question to me is do you need or want a new car? Mm-hmm. If the five-year-old car is fine and you own it outright, move on. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. Um, I actually had a conversation with my accountant about this a few months ago where they were like, they were like, Simran, you're a really easy client. And I was like, why? And they were like, you just don't ask for anything. And then I said, well, you know, should I, would you recommend something that I should be doing? Like, are you, are you subtly suggesting that there's more that I could be doing? And then the idea came up where they were like, well, you could, you know, reduce your tax if you wanted to. We could look at like getting you a new car. We had like a long chat about it and he crunched the numbers. And then by the end of it, I realized that I didn't really want a new car. Mm. And I was like, look, I don't hate my car. I don't love it. I always say to Sonia that I accidentally bought like a car that grandmothers drive. Like anytime I see someone else in the same car model as me, it's a Mazda CX-3. It's a woman with white hair. And that's okay. I have a car like that too, Sam. They're good cars. They're reliable. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a therapy session about the car you bought. Um, but I think it, it's a really good point that you've made of like, yes, okay, I would have saved, I think he was saying like $20,000 on my tax bill, but I don't need a new car. And mm. you've just got to weigh up if that matters. And a lot of the time there are some accountants out there, not looking at any ex-accountants <laughs> right now. I know, I feel the shade being yeah. thrown to my side of the table. Yeah. Some accountants, they'll move heaven and earth so you pay less tax, but you're still paying net outflow of money. Mm-hmm. So do you want to pay a little bit more mm-hmm. tax and keep more money on balance? or like So, Ali, all I would say is, If you do need a new car, legitimately need a new car, you first have to look at a funding decision. My own view is not to use the mortgage because if you're a homeowner, you can get car finance, which is almost the same rate as a mortgage. And as long as you're doing it over four years, and I would also say you've got a current car that's five years old, which is 50K market value. I'm assuming there's no debt left. So you've maybe you've 
paid that off in full over the four years. But having that separate car loan, make sure that the debt goes in four years because if some people refinance their mortgage and buy the car, then you finance the car over the next 25 years and you'll pay more interest. Or even if you do a a second mortgage for a $70,000 car in this instance, that second mortgage, whether the bank can do it or not, you want to make sure you clear that within the four years. And sometimes you're like, oh, the minimum payment's only $30 a month because it's a 30-year loan for 30 grand and you don't pay it off. So there's nothing wrong with paying cash for a car. What are your thoughts, ex-accountant? Don't ask me for any tax advice, but what I would say to this is kind of along the same lines as what Glenn is saying, but yeah, what do you actually want? Like what's the goal? What what value is it to you to do that over the potential outcome of it? Like, I don't know, coming back to what you said, so maybe do you have the capacity to kind of take on another form of debt possibly in a new mm. car for this other potential outcome that might not even benefit you in the long term. Mm. And sometimes if you're bored financially and you don't have a goal, you're like, maybe I can optimize this and I get a new car mm. and I can the optimization. save $20 in tax a month and pay that extra $20 on the mortgage where for me, I look back, is it moving the needle in a huge way? And it also goes back to what we were talking about, real money, what's real money in your world. But this question to me is like, if you want a new car, Nothing wrong with selling your $50,000 car, saving up $20,000 over the next however long or if you do have some money in savings and just paying cash for the car, that's totally fine as well. You can also just sell sell your car, get a Mazda CX-3 for half that <laughs> well, price. That's the other thing as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ali, she might, I'm just looking at her, oh, she's got a dog in her profile photo so she might need a big car for the doggy but mm. I don't know. We'll put a link in the show notes to the blog about how much to spend on a car because that really helps everyone out. So we'll take a break. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, we are back. This 
community segment of the week time where we ask you questions in the Facebook group and we just read your responses. We don't heaps filter them. This segment is brought to you by Sky Wealth. So make sure if you've got debt or dependents that you've got death cover in place or if you've got an income, you've really got to make sure you've got income insurance. So you can do that by reaching out to Sky Wealth, which is sky.com.au forward slash MMM. They can have a complimentary 15-minute chat to explain the whole process and they are awesome and they only specialize in life insurance. We asked everyone, what boundaries do you have set up at work? What did Dave say, Sarah? Dave said, don't fucking talk to me, (laughs) which I just cracked up at. Jai said, don't touch me either. Boss patted me on the back and I cringed. (laughs) Why are people patting each other on the back? 2023. Yes, my thoughts exactly. I love Christie's one. She said she takes no work emails or has apps on her phone. It's a personal phone. Work doesn't pay for it. They can call her on her personal phone, but it's listed on the company directory, but she won't answer it outside of work hours. She also said that she doesn't work on Fridays, so she has an out-of-office set up for each Friday as a reminder. And even though everyone else works full-time and works on Fridays, she's so solid on not working or taking any calls on that day. And that comment got a lot of likes. I think people really engaged with it. And a lot in our world is 22. (laughs) 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 Well, on this post anyway. Um, Francis, if you need anything from me, reconsider... (laughs) That's good. From Vanessa, we've got, I'm really friends with my colleagues on social media. I'll happily chat about what I did on the weekend, but they don't need to see pictures of my wild days. BC, before (laughs) children. And then Daniel said, and this is one of my favorites, my boss knows that I won't answer anything over the weekend. Also, if they make me go back to the office more than twice a week, I am out of there. Happily... I'm in a long-term job I enjoy that really suits me and my needs for flexibility. Mm. Nice. Let's talk about our own boundaries here. Oh, or lack thereof. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, that's actually interesting because a lot of us self-employed people, we, it's not boundaries, it's a big ball of everything meshed together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually, years ago, I had a... um, a friend who was working in uh, the business with me and I'm like, I'll catch up with them and I'm just like, everything's a mesh and everything's the same and I can have a catch up based on work and friendship all in the one conversation. Mm. Then I moved into, because they were contracting to the business and oh, I catch up. Oh, by the way, yeah, probably need to end the contract soon and they didn't have the same, they had probably stronger boundaries (laughs) that they thought the catch up was... (laughs) Just catching up for coffee, not a business catch up. Ah, I see. So, if, mm. and that's a lesson that I've really tried to learn because I don't have any boundaries. And I'm, I can share an example of what I'm working on. But yeah, so often the self employed entrepreneur is just one big meshed ball. What's your experience, Sim? Well, I have had, as, as someone that employs people, I've had a really interesting setup because I work with some people that are my best friends. I also work with people that are, you know, employees that I didn't know outside of my job. And so one of the boundaries that was really important to me that I set up 
um, from day one was if we ever talk about something work-related and we're friends outside of work, we will only talk about it on work channels. So Slack is where we come to to talk about work. Mm. If we want to catch up on video call, we jump on Zoom um, or Google Meets. And then if we finish our meeting and want to catch up about life, we jump to FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we yeah. iMessage each other, mm-hmm. but we never, or we try not to go between the channels because they, it just becomes such a blur. So that's been really helpful. And then one boundary that I set as an employer is I don't add my employees on social media. Okay. And if they add me, that's fine. Yeah. I'll accept it. I have never followed anyone back though. Yeah, I did that recently and... I probably didn't tell them soon enough. I'm like, oh, by the way, I've unfollowed all of you on socials because you're like, we're not friends. Well, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, no, let me rephrase that. editing this like, all right. No, um, no, like it's more I need to be your boss and it's probably better for you if I don't see your personal life. Oh, yeah. I I think you like, I think when you're an employer, you want to be friends with everyone that you work with. You want to be like, and especially if you're a millennial employer, you're even more like, I feel like we're compensating for what we experienced Mm. when we were younger, where we're like, no, we're cool. We're chill. Like, I'm your friend too. It gives that energy of like when your mum comes up to you and she's like, you can tell me anything. I'm your friend. And you're like, thank you, mum, but you're still my mother. Mm. Yeah. There's still that relationship that's a bit different. And, I think if you don't acknowledge that, you're not acknowledging the slight power imbalance that you have with people. Like you can tell them, you know, as an employee, you can kind of tell them anything. You can be like, oh, I've had a bad day. But you have to recognize like if someone's having a bad day and they talk about it on their Instagram, maybe they're less likely to do that because they're worried, will my manager think that, you know, I'm not a competent employee or will they Mm. view my memes that are sometimes dark as, Mm. you know, something related to my personal experience and therefore maybe I won't get a promotion if they keep seeing this kind of content long term. Like it just yeah. gets murky. Yeah, I and I will reiterate everyone, like I remove them for their benefit. Mm. Like because I do want to be friends with everyone outside of work and all that but it's just like, well, just social media, you can have that privacy as an employee. Yeah. What do you have in terms of boundaries Well, or lack of? Yeah, I feel like I've been – I have in the past really struggled with boundaries and I don't employ anyone so it's just sort of me I'm managing but I find that boundaries ultimately also means good communication mm-hmm. and for me to have good boundaries I need to make sure my communication is like top notch especially, you know, with the people I work with and so it's fine if I don't want to do this or don't want to do that but if I don't communicate that with the people around me then it only looks bad on my end, it only hurts the other people on the other side as well. So I think just having good communication is a part of having really good boundaries as well. I have a controversial one that I want your both mm. your takes on. What are your thoughts on if you it's let's say it's Saturday morning or Friday 6:30 p.m. and there's an email that you want to send to someone and you've got the personality type where you're like if I don't mm. send this, I'll forget about it. I'd rather just get it out. What do you do? Because I used to just be the person that would be like, hey, I'm sending this. Feel free to not reply until Monday. And then I realized that the act of still sending that email might still cause 
people anxiety, whether it's, you know, like working with a client or, or someone in our team. And so I've learned to just schedule send. Yeah. So there's that option and you might not know this or you might know it with Slack or even Gmail. You can schedule a message to go out on like Monday 9am, even if you send it at like Saturday 11pm. Yeah. And it's that courtesy of, I just don't want them to see it if they accidentally do log into their account and they have it on their mind. I completely agree. I'm a schedule send as well. But PS, if you use Microsoft Teams, you can't schedule. And who uses Microsoft Teams? I know that it's yeah, not good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, scheduling is definitely how I would do it as well. Because at the start, I used to think, oh, you know, I'm the kind of person who if someone sends me an email on the weekend, I don't feel obligated to respond because mm. I'm like, it's my weekend and that's my boundary. Whereas I, and I thought, you know, I just assumed, which is never a good start, that everyone else felt the same as well. So they would also have those boundaries of like, oh, I don't reply to emails on the weekend. But then I started through different experiences noticing that people would either respond or would comment on, you know, saying I saw your email on the weekend. And I realized that me kind of doing that almost... I think communicates to that person what my own boundaries are and then maybe makes them feel a certain way about not having responded to me on the weekend or whatever. And I didn't quite think about the follow-on effects that has it for someone else about how they feel about their work boundaries or the way that they, you know, operate their life or reply to emails or whatever. So now I just try my hardest no matter what if I can't schedule to send it within work hours or whatever or schedule send. What about you, Glenn? Yeah, I, I do schedule send sometimes, but like I've told my team, like if I send something on Slack on a Saturday, you don't have to reply. Mm. I'm just doing it so it's there or whatever. Same with email, like there's no expectation if I send one, but yeah, I've, I've used the schedule email one before, which is real handy. It is. I just feel like it made me realize that whatever you do, like if you, it's very much like, do as I say, not as I do. And if you ask, if you say to someone like, hey, I don't want you to worry about doing this or like I am totally chill if you don't do that, but then you go off and do it yourself. Mm. Like I don't want you checking your emails on a Saturday, but then they realize yes, you're checking exactly. emails on a Saturday. I wonder how much people think, well, if my boss is telling me not to do this, but then she does it. Yeah. Is she deep, does she deep down have the expectation of me? Yeah, that's the thing. I think you do start to overthink it because I even and this applies to different areas in your life as well, not just finance, but also in your friend groups or whatever. Like if you say if you're kind of like setting a boundary for someone else saying, you don't have to do this, don't worry about that, or like don't think about that, but say, for example, you're saying, don't run yourself down, don't be negative about who you are, but then you do the same. It's like, well, what is actually the truth here? Or like, what do you actually think? Should you be doing that? It's like when your friend is like, hey, like, don't worry about your weight, you're beautiful. And then they like comment about their own their own weight exactly. all the time and yeah. they're skinnier than you. And, and you're like, what, yes. what do you think about me? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. You start <laughs> overthinking that for yourself. Yeah, I just think boundaries are good. I'm but <laughs> <laughs> also whatever. Super convincing. <laughs> so what I've learned lately, because I do school on Thursday and Fridays, and like we don't work Fridays, four day work week. Thursday I'm at TAFE. Like I've got my laptop open mm-hmm. the whole time I'm at TAFE. So on the Thursday, if the team need me, I can at least keep the ball rolling. Like if someone's like, oh, Glenn, what was that? Like I don't want to hold things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to think I am available. Um, I put an update like I'm at school or whatever today. But 
what I have been doing for my own sanity is even like I used to be this like hate having unread emails, like just this Mm -hmm. weird kink that's like can't do it. But now like see my email inbox, all the unreads, there's not many. I just now keep them unread. It's okay. It's not urgent. I will get to them when I do. Yeah. And, you know, on Thursday and Fridays, you know, at TAFE, I really don't respond to emails if they're not urgent. I'll just keep them unread and deal with it on on the weekend or on Monday, yeah. What do you think is an appropriate time for – so we've had this a few times where like someone will send us an email and they'll send a follow-up email or we need to send a follow-up email and we keep worrying, when do you follow up on someone if they haven't responded? Like how many days do you Mm. usually wait? Because what's the boundary? Is it, hey, it's been a couple of days, just wanted to follow up politely, do you wait a week, do you wait two weeks? Depends what it is. I usually think the bigger the thing, like if it's, for example, a, a sponsorship deal and it's over a hundred grand or something big, like the bigger the deal, the more time is needed. Yeah. Um, if you're just like, hey, I need to know your coffee order. I'm walking downstairs. Like, <laughs> so I think it's that same thing with decisions, right? Mm-hmm. The bigger the decision, you should have more time to chew on it and think about it. So, yeah, I don't know. What's the maximum time you would wait before you followed up? A big deal. Big deal. I'd probably definitely two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably average around a, a week in terms of following up with people, like sometimes earlier, sometimes maybe slightly later, but around a week. And I'll tell you, like I'm just I'm bringing up an email, potential partnership opportunity. Okay, so we're recording this on the 2nd of August. Mm-hmm. I originally reached out to this company because uh, I wanted a specific company to sponsor us because I want to do some stuff. Uh, they, it was a LinkedIn connection. They emailed me after I sent that was on the 21st of June. Mm-hmm. And then there's been a couple of people involved. And then, you know, eight days. Oh, okay. So here we go. Um, I sent a message on the 13th of July didn't hear from them. Eight days later, I'm like, oh, hey, just seeing if there's something you did want to pursue because I don't want to keep annoying you Mm. and just tell me. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, we've been flat out. And then, you know, now we're booked in for next Monday to actually have the first face-to-face. Right. So when you're dealing with bigger corporates and all that stuff, yeah, I think I don't know the answer. That's what I'm saying. This has been a month in the making. I, that that makes sense. I, mm. I, I've got one more boundary and I think this is more for maybe people that are business owners or people that work in like partnerships or, or in the deals space. One of the boundaries that I keep coming up against is um, people getting really comfortable with asking more of you after you've already signed a contract or signed a deal. So for example, um, let's say one example of like a boundary that I'm starting to try to do more of is a boundary around the worth of our work or the boundary around not just giving things up for free. So a lot of times I think when you start off in running a business, you are really good at just doing things as favors because you're like, look, I'm new. I know this is a good thing. You just kind of have to pay your dues. I think that's the way I view it. You know, you don't maybe take as much payment or if someone has asked you to come out on um, like their and come into a speaking gig and they're like, by the way, can you also um, like share this on your Instagram or could you also like put this on your LinkedIn? You're like, yeah, of course, like happy to do a favor. 
as time goes on and you get more established or more comfortable, I remember a speaking gig that I was flying to do. It was an international speaking gig. I was on a plane for this and I connected to the plane Wi-Fi and I got an email or a text message from the event organizer being like, oh, we didn't sell enough tickets for this show. We're going to have to cancel you. Gosh. Oh, my God. 72 hours before the event itself. Oh, my God. And that had come from, you know, it had been confirmed, everything had been booked in, and then they said, we'd also just like, you, would like to spend four hours with you doing, like, an interview with you. And I was like, an interview for four hours? Like, where is this interview going? And they said, behind a paywall. And I was like, we never discussed this. Yeah. yeah. We never had this conversation of me doing a speaking gig and then also sitting down for four hours and making basically a masterclass for you. Like yeah. I'd rather do a masterclass on my own company. Yeah. Um, and because I declined that, they then cancelled the entire thing on me. And it just was a moment of you've got to just weigh up. Do I disrespect my own boundaries and kind of take it because what if I don't get the mm. next thing, mm. this like scarcity mindset? And when do you value yourself and go, that was kind of shady? yeah. Yeah, God, that is a horrible situation. Yeah, I think as for me that is expectations that were unrealistic on their behalf and then – but like we have the same problems like – and it's just like – and you can see why contracts end up just being so long <laughs> and I don't want all this long crap but like don't move the goalposts when we've agreed to something because like we've had it happen like – I don't know. It's just shabby. I, Sarah, I told Glenn about it and he was like, listen from the story, um, put it in your contract. I was like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he said make a contract because we contract. didn't have one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Have things in writing. Not yeah. that I would know about that. But <laughs> well, we've evolved out of the community section. There's a question here from Jeremiah and we'll do two last questions. I'm in a full-time job. This could be to do with like the boundary thing and I feel burned out but I want to increase my income because I'm struggling with the cost of living. How should I start to do that? Sarah, someone's feeling burned out but needs some more moolah. Mm -hmm. What would the first port of call be for Jeremiah do you reckon? When we look at Jeremiah's situation, they think that earning more money is going to solve this problem of struggling with the cost of living. But if you don't have the mental capacity to put more time into something, more hours or that kind of form of increasing your income, then it's not going to do anything more positive for your life than contribute to the burnout you're already feeling. So I feel like the first port of call is looking at the burnout situation as opposed to the financial situation so that you can make a more positive and productive step towards improving the financial situation. Yeah, so at the moment, just getting more money is just a Band-Aid mm. and it's not going to fix the burnout. But that's also, it's a hard question because if someone's struggling, then there's a sense of urgency with that as, as well. Totally. That's a really good point. I, I don't think I've ever made a good financial or career decision when I've been burnt out. Mm. And you almost take on things maybe out of desperation or you kind mm. of like imagine 
being in this person's shoes and you see another job that pays more and there's a couple of red flags, but at this point you're like, anything's better than where I'm currently at and you jump ship, that can not always be the smartest decision. And you, I do wonder, like, could we make or would, are we the kind of person that maybe would make a better decision? Yeah, by first dealing with the burnout and then looking at things with a more clear ahead and, and still moving on, but but doing so with more ease. Yeah. And I know this doesn't speak directly to Jeremiah's situation, but I also think that uh, it reminds me of the importance of things like emergency funds and having mm. that money there so that you have the freedom to make a decision to take some time to think because, you know, the freedom to think is, isn't available to all people. And if you can make that freedom available to you through the use of an emergency fund, then it means you can make better decisions that align with the kind of life you actually want to live or with less burnout. Yeah. What I would encourage Jeremiah to do or anyone who's um, listening to this who does feel, and I would even say like burned out or not in a good place at work Mm -hmm. because any decisions we make out of fear, out of in a bad state, it doesn't end well. Like, mm. so what if you wrote down a bit of paper? Because I'm big, and that's why we've got the My Money Journal. Everyone, get your thoughts out of your head. If you want to order one of those, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yes, I'm selling a journal to you, but it will change your life. What if you did write down this is my current job? I'm a dental assistant, for example. Haven't used that one, so I'll use that one. I feel burned out. What three things can you write down relating to your job? If they weren't there, it would stop me being burned out. And that could be constantly working back without getting paid. Mm -hmm. It could be there's too many appointments booked in. I don't even get a chance to have a freaking full lunch break. It could be the boss is an asshole to me and there's too much pressure. So... We've identified the actual, but we need to get it onto paper. We need to quantify if these three things weren't happening, is there a chance that I would get burned out? No, because we've relieved these. Now, question, if you can't think or pinpoint anything at work, is it a another factor that's external to work? So is it a job issue? Is it a I'm burned out because I'm carrying all this crap in my home and personal life and work's just adding to the pressure. So I think the identifying is the key. And then if it is work things, I think it is saying to your boss or manager, hey, can we grab a coffee one day? I know we're out of sync with reviews and all that stuff, but I just want to have a chat, an honest chat with you. I'm feeling under pressure and burned out because of these things. And then maybe... If those things, if there's no willingness for those things to change or if they go, oh, yeah, we'll sort that and that doesn't happen within three months because you need to give businesses time, you've got to be out of there. I think it's so important to do that first step. I think a lot of us, myself included, like when we come, when we come to a roadblock, I think your like impulse or I like to call it like my monkey brain is like, okay, leave, like get out, screw the company. Like they will never see the best dental assistant ever again. Yeah. <laughs> That's a millennial Gen Z brain. I yeah. feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put less anesthetic in the syringe. <laughs> Take it out on the patients. 
you're you're very much ready to just like jump ship. And I think that's that like I think that's a like sign of, you know, having a strong self-belief. And I think that's amazing. But I always have to like remind myself like I think step one should always be have a conversation. What if your work somehow in some weird way had no idea like you were just so good at masking it because you've mm. dealt with it so long. I've seen instances where someone's gone to their boss and said, hey, this needs to change, and it's been a positive experience. The burnout's sorted out, and when the burnout's been sorted out, then they can focus on growth within the company and they can focus Mm. on promotions and they can focus on, one, sorting out the burnout and getting paid more, and it's like a win-win. I think it's a step that is worth considering, but you've also got to know, and I think we all kind of know, like, is my manager or is my boss going to be receptive to this? Mm. Yeah, and that's a judgment call that you need to make. Mm. Because, yeah, you're like, think about, oh, why don't you tell us that? Yeah, done. Yeah. Like, we can fix that right now. Is there an exercise and sort your career out? Absolutely. That, yeah, I was going to say, I'm reading it at the moment. Yeah. And I feel like I remember going through something about this in terms of having hard conversations because those conversations are scary, you know, mm. having to confront your boss or someone above yeah, you. So basically I talk about that part about risks and taking risks Yeah. and the diagram that I use is like in the middle of the diagram there's a shaded grace area and it is the career risk comfort zone that mm-hmm. you need to be comfortable asking your boss to have a chat. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, there's a section kind of on the risk spectrum. Like at the very end, it's like quitting work, starting my own business without any financial backing, like huge risk. (laughs) Wait, that sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And then at the very start of that risk spectrum, it could even be just asking for a day off because I'm sick, Hmm. which the first part of that can be confidence things, not necessarily a risk. Hmm. So that's why... Yeah, it's understanding that we need to practice being confident and one of the things that might be a confidence problem rather than I'm taking a risk is asking if I can have a sick day because you're entitled to it, not putting up with crap in the workplace, like just stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a great question and um, that's why we did write the career book. Final question, it's more of a comment that I'll read and we can chat about it. Adam said... With Sharesies being a big sponsor of the show, Glenn can no longer say a bad word about investing apps. Well, I can. Some of them suck. And I'm suspecting some bias. Yes, everything is conflicted. We just have to manage the conflicts. If I was saying how good Sharesies is and weren't disclosing that they were a sponsor, that's an issue. We manage conflicts as best as possible. We're a commercial entity. We'd like to earn money to bring this stuff to you like to pay wages of eight people, that's fine. Let's be real. If you invested for five years using the quote-unquote roundup feature, you would have about $38.50 extra. So I think he's just plucked that number up. By the way, Adam, thanks for being part of the group. I'm just having fun with you. These features are designed to make you feel positive about your investment and to keep you engaged in the app. Okay. Let's invest real money for the long term using real brokerage services and not fad apps. So I'll finish my comments. It's these comments like this that I would caution and everyone's free. Like our Facebook group, 
There's no approved, we don't curate it because we self-moderate. So if people put up crap, people report it. I think there's an automatic thing. If more than three people report a post, Facebook automatically delete it. So we kind of self-moderate. So please keep it coming. But please don't let your superiority scare people from getting started. And someone's real money of, I've only got $5 a week left over to invest. That's someone's real money where... Adam, because you're sophisticated, real money for you could be $1,000 a week. So let's take a chill pill. I, I just, I've got no problem with apps. In fact, there's one app that wanted to sponsor this podcast and I said no for some various reasons. And so yeah, some investing apps, Adam, they are not good. And I've taken the view with brands and products in My Millennial Money that Number one, not every brand, not every product that we talk about on the podcast is for everyone. So if I was advertising bloody get your glasses from Specsavers or Oscar Wiley, well, don't have a whinge if you can't wear glasses because your eyesight's fine. <laughs> like not every brand, not every product is for everyone. I've taken the view on balance if it will help people and it's not ethically bad, if it's not illegal, if it's not licensed financially, if it's on balance, a good thing for people to use. Most of the time, I wouldn't have a brand on that I wouldn't recommend to my family members. My cousin Carly messaged me the other day. She's like, I want to get started with some investing. I'm like, try sharesies. Like, why not? And it goes back to that thing. We just need to get started. And once you get a hang of it, once you're like, oh, I know how this works. Okay, do I double down with this app that I'm using now? Or do I upgrade and, I don't know, go to a stockbroker on bloody Wall Street in New York because I want to do that. Like, just chill out, everyone. It's okay. If my mouth is moving, assume it's a commercial. I'm not running a charity here. I'm running a business and we're providing free financial encouragement to everyone and there are brands that I think on balance will help people. I'm not a not-for-profit, I'm a for-profit and I make no apologies for running a business and having good quality brands uh, partner with us to help you bring the content. Going out on a limb, Adam, shares is probably not for you but um, it could be for other people. Uh, so any comments, Sim? There was once a time where if you did not have like $5,000, you could not be considered an investor. I um a little bit of bias here. I know the story of how Shazy started and it was because one of the co-founders, she went to a stockbroker, um, this was many years ago, and she said, I have like $10,000, can I invest? And they turned her away. Hmm. $10,000 wasn't enough. I think it's important to consider the idea that these apps that have started actually came from the personal experiences. So I do know the co-founders of Sharesies and one of the reasons they started is one of the founders, she was a young woman, went to a stockbroker, asked if she could invest. They turned her away. She didn't have the thousands of dollars that was needed as a minimum. And so she thought, well, I want to invest. I cannot get in. And time in the market is more important than, you know, saving up $10,000 over 20 years' time if that's all she could afford. And so the idea that more options are available even then like five years ago, five years ago you were paying 
a lot of totally. I think it's awesome that there's so many different options available and you can start wherever you can. I think it's almost a privilege to say, oh, something that you can invest with a dollar, like why should that exist? Mm. Yeah, I think this is why we have the need for finance podcasts is because there's such a haze over money and finances generally and things are overcomplicated all the time. And so for the beginner investor to think, oh, wait, so I shouldn't invest with sharesies or that's bad or that's not good for this reason and become even more confused that they're put off doing it completely. And that could alter that person's long-term financial situation. Mm. So I just think, you know, and to the roundups thing, I've been a fan of roundups for years. Me too. Like it's not a sharesies thing and Glenn all of a sudden loves roundups. I just think it's a cool way to kind of game your own little system and just scoop money. Like, you know, there's plenty of different investing apps that you can use. Ray's, Superhero, Sharesies, who happen to sponsor the podcast. I mean, I don't care what you use, just get started. But if Sharesies are paying me, I'm going to also suggest them to people to get started. Pretty simple. So everything in the world is conflicted. Everything. There's conflicts everywhere. You go to the doctor, oh, you need a new hip. Do I really need one or are you just trying to get an extra surgery? But as long as the conflict's managed and disclosed... You know, I just, and thanks, Adam. Like, I'm, I'm reading this on the proviso that I think you'd be chill enough for me to read it publicly and have a discussion. But there's been some comments recently, and not just about this, but about like chess versus custodian management, where, you know, your perfection, don't let that cause other people from starting. Because what you think is perfect, someone else might not. I personally don't have any of my equity holdings direct on. Hin, it's all through custody. So, well, ladies. Glenn. That was heavy. I'm definitely cancelled <laughs> after this episode. Do you think so? Probably. No, I think that happened a long time ago. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> we passed that point. Uh, Sim, give us a quick update. What's happening at Girls That Invest? Well, we're redoing our investing masterclass. We run these three times a year um, and we have a lot of fun with them. So that is starting up. If you're interested, head over to our Instagram, Girls That Invest, and have a look. Mm, Adam might even join you. He might. Because he's got real money. He does. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Love you, Adam. Investing masterclass, Girls That Invest. Subscribe to Sim's podcast, Girls That Invest. It's awesome. Follow her Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us today. Sarah, you've got a podcast called... The One Up Project. And an Instagram called... The One Up Project. And... And a thread's The One Up. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Yeah. And a TikTok. And a TikTok. And that's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sarah, we'll hear you in the coming weeks doing the odd little My Millennial Story episode. Yes. Can't wait. And I think for everyone, you know, it's the back of the episode or an hour in, so only the people who actually like our chat are listening right now. I just want to build out the brand a bit more and maybe, you know, if I, like, I'm not going anywhere, everyone, chill out. It's just more about getting new blood in and all that stuff. I might then focus and do more of the Focus Friday sessions where I actually give some advice to people about their situation mm. and be more active giving the advice. Because if you're new to the show, if you look at the feed you'll every second friday there's an episode called focus fridays where people fill out all their information i have a look at it and we go through it and i give them focus and clarity on their situation so that's kind of what i'm thinking if i kind of do an episode a week maybe we do focus fridays every week next year not sure 
and get some other people to um, help host the podcast. If I'm sick one week and can't talk, well, we've just got some other people because our other hosts like John, Shell, Emily, Dev, like they're just way too busy to do any more content. So that's what we're doing. My name's Glenn James. This is My Millennial Money. See you next week, everyone. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.